This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey there, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Guy Jeans. And today I have Mikey Weir on the show. Mikey. Yo, hey, good morning. Man. Good morning. How you doing? Good, yeah. man. Welcome to the show. Super stoked to have you. I've got lots to talk to you about. I was trying to remember, um, first of all, how we met. And I have a vision of, of it, but I want to see if it's the same vision that you have. But do you remember where we met at? You know, I was just thinking about you the other day because I was up in... Um, up above Fresno there, I gave a talk for the Fresno fly fishers on Thursday about the Klamath dam removals. And I was thinking about the old team USA <laughs> yeah. competition. Uh-huh. And, um, is that where we met? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, well, my, I mean, I, that's what I remembered anyway. So yeah, I, I, it was. And, um, actually the first time that I, did you, did you compete in Fresno? I did. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably where we initially met then was there. Um, but we, uh, we ended up, uh, I guess, fishing on the same team in Colorado. And I remember like the first conversation I have, um, I pulled up on the big Thompson and you were eating a bowl of cereal or something. (laughs) 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 And, uh, and then we kind of like, uh, I think we kind of fished around the big Thompson and we're kind of kind of preparing for the, uh, the competition, I think the next day or something, something like that. That's how I, that's how I remember it. Do you remember anything like that? Was, was Trevor wine in that mix too, or? Yeah, that was me and Trevor, yeah. uh, you know, it was like guide life those days. Yeah. We were broke kids eating, uh, <laughs> bananas and cereal in the morning yep. and TV and J's of the, you know, Absolutely. making it happen. Absolutely. Drove out there to Colorado and just made it happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was fun, man. Those days, um, I, I sure did learn a lot. How about you? Oh, a ton. Yeah, it was a great, great experience. Um, you know, it just, it, seeing everybody is how refined their techniques were. Uh, for me, it's like I did a lot of indicatorless nymphing, you know, that's, yeah. that's just always what I called it. I just called it nymphing or yeah. indicatorless nymphing. I didn't know that, you know, need the label. And everybody's like, oh, this style is Spanish nymphing and this is Polish <laughs> yeah. nymphing and this is Czech nymphing and this is, you know, whatever. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, sometimes I keep a little more line out. Sometimes I keep yeah. the line tight when I need to, which is what I do for the given situation. But, um, yeah, it was really cool to see, you know, to just learn from everybody. And, and sure. uh, I picked, I picked up a ton of information from those things. I mean, I really did. And definitely it's not typically my style to go to a river and try to just Hoover the runs and pick as many fish as I can out of there. I'm, I'm usually, um, a lot more selective in my personal fishing, but you know, the, yeah. the specific fish I'm fishing for, um, and trying to target, but, uh, yeah, incredible experience and glad I did it. And I would totally actually do it again. You know, that was fun. Oh, absolutely. Same here, man. Learned a ton from that. So your, your fly fishing background was basically around, um, Tahoe. Is that right? Yeah. I I grew up kind of just West of Tahoe down in the foothills there and, um, started fly fishing pretty early. You know, it was kind of weird because I didn't really have any friends or mentors or, parents I knew that fly fish was kind of this weird sport that I picked up um and so you know I was just consuming as much information as I could from like field and stream magazines I'd find at thrifty's uh you know <laughs> yeah. store in Hamilton County or whatever and um 
and then I, you know, met some, some older guys to fly fish eventually that down at the, um, Oh, they call the, uh, Delta fly fishers. I, I went to a few of the club meetings down there kind of, um, by Stockton and Lodi and, yeah. and, uh, so yeah, I really cut my teeth around Amador, the McCallamy, the Consumnes, the Calaveras river, you know, these weird kind of obscure little creeks there in the foothills. And, and then, um, started going to the East Carson on camping trips. And then, um, by the time I was a teenager, I kind of found the East Walker and, and, uh, would get in there and then, and then, yeah, I moved to Tahoe when I was like 18 and that's when it really kind of like took off and met other people that were closer to my age that actually were into fly fishing and started getting into it pretty heavy around here. And then, yeah, that led to guiding and, um, all that good stuff. Working, so. working for, uh, Tahoe fly fishing outfitters with, uh, Victor Babbitt. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I worked for Vic for like, uh, I think over 15, 15, 16 years, um, uh-huh. all together. Yeah. I started started in the shop a season and then um went to clearwater guide school and worked my way up to guiding and i my very first job was actually at the sportsman which was a little like tackle shop in tahoe um i met justin ray and kyle giampali in a small business class at tahoe um, Tahoe ltc the little junior college up here and um yeah, Justin got me a job at Sportsman. There used to be another fly shop up here uh, called Round Hill Flies with a guy named Jeffrey Beer, and um, he was a cool dude too. And I spent a little time over there. He made me a rod one time, and um, but yeah, I then started working for Vic, and and uh, yeah, put in put in some time there. It was a good, you know, great you know, life experience too. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, that dude was was uh, real instrumental in, and not not a lot of people know this, but. Um, I think I've told him once, uh, years later, of course, that he was real instrumental in helping me get started, you know, with my fly shop. Um, my mom, my mom had walked into his shop. She was up in, in uh, South Lake Tahoe gambling or something. And, and he, she went into the fly shop and she said, oh, my son's thinking about opening up a fly shop. And, and he's all, well, you need to talk. He needs to talk to this person, this person, and this person. <laughs> and, um, and I did. And, um, and that was, uh, Jamie Lyle and John Sherman and, you know, those guys and they, they helped me get started, man. And that was, uh, that was really cool. And that was, that was Victor Babb. I told him years later, man, he, he helped me out. What a cool oh, guy. that's awesome. Yeah. What a yeah. Cool. Vic was always good about sharing information. You know, he, he yeah. didn't rarely held back. He was easy to talk to. And, um, he sold recently, you know? right? What's that? Did he sell the shop? He did, yeah. He sold the shop to uh, Brendan and um, the guy named Michael, and they are doing great over there. Um, awesome. Or sorry, I think John and, and Brendan, um, brain fart. But Brendan had been guiding there for years, and then he kind of split off and started um, alpine fly fishing uh, with Jared Beer. And then, yeah, circled back and bought the Tahoe Fly Fishing Outfitters. And, um, yeah, it's nice to see some new, some new energy there. And Vic just bought a little, like uh, – lodge um deal up in montana somewhere and um he's living the living the good life so how did you decide that you were going to become a a fishing guy you know it uh it really just kind of fell in my lap i mean mostly because it afforded me the lifestyle that i wanted to live at that time which was (laughs) snowboarding in the winter and right and uh fishing in the summer you know and um to be honest with you growing up in amador county i didn't even know that a fly fishing guide was a job. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't on my radar at all. I didn't even know that existed to me. Like, you know, fishing was something you did with your dad or your grandpa, mm-hmm. you know, and they taught you how to fish it. And so it's actually, um, Justin Ray who, who got me started. Uh, we were, we were literally in a small business planning class. And at the time I, I think I wanted to make like river boards or, um, you know, to like, we used to do this like river surfing thing on them call me and, I was going to start a small business making boards and I was, I was, I was literally doodling on one of my papers one day in class and I drew a picture of a brown trout coming up to eat a mayfly. I was just sitting there daydreaming and Justin, uh, walked by my desk and looked down he's like, Oh dude, that's a cool drawing. Like, what are you into fly fishing or something? I was like, yeah, man, I fish. And we just got to shooting the shit. And, um, he's like, well, you know, like after seeing him, you know, a couple of weeks in class and talking and stuff one day, he's like, well, I'm going down the East Walker this weekend. You want to go? And I was like, sure. So we're driving down there in his truck and, um, and I'm like, so what are you, what are you doing in that small business house? What are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm a fishing guide. I'm going to, I'm going to break off and start my own business. And, 
I was like, Oh, like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, I'm a fly, I'm a fly fishing guide. I'm like, I'm like, cool. What, like, what do you, what does that mean? He's like, I take people fly fishing. I'm like, and they pay you people, <laughs> right? Like, like adults pay you just to go like fishing with them. And he's like, yeah, like, a, like I make really good money. And I'm like, dude, how do I get this job? <laughs> uh, after like fishing for the weekend, he's like, dude, you're pretty good. I'll, you know, I'm going to hook you up. And, uh, yeah, literally like the next week he went and got me, um, a job at the, at the sportsman fishing shop there in Tahoe. And then the next year I started working for Vic and yeah. Nice. That's how you got started. Very I cool. mean, yeah, I was like a 19 year old kid. Most of my friends were like doing whitewater rafting, guiding, or, yeah. you know, renting bicycles and stuff and making, you know, 50 to $70 a day. And, uh, uh-huh. so I could get out there and take people fishing and be out on the river and make a living, you know, carve off a few bucks for the summer. It was great. I, I think, um, I think the first time that I, had heard about you was I, I was looking through maybe it was like a, a fly fishing magazine of, of something and I saw this scientific anglers ad and it and it was like you were carving the s for scientific anglers with your snowboard or something and going down a mountain <laughs> and it said Mikey Weir and I'm like who's that why why is there you know why is there snowboarding with the scientific anglers you know I was like that's cool is that right am I right yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Classic. Yeah. Scientific that, yeah. And, uh, I think that's the first time I had heard of you or, or seen anything like that before. That was cool. Um, so did your snowboarding career kind of lead you into like doing stuff with the, the fly fishing community or kind of related together type of a deal? Like, um, also into your video career, um, did they all kind of mesh together somehow? You know, eventually, but it, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't like right away by any means. Um, you know, it, it, for the first like several years, it was almost like two living two different lifestyles, you know, in the winter, I was like mm-hmm. long hair, snowboard, bum, goggle tan, you know, yeah. snowboarding the three revolves around partying and, you know, <laughs> being punk rock. And, and then in the summer I'd have to like, cut my hair and you know, put on the button up shirt and go sure. take the tourist fishing and, you know, yeah. get up early in the morning. And, yeah. um, so it, it kind of took a while for the, for it to merge. Cause it, you know, at the time there wasn't a lot of like crossover. It was still pretty early in the, in the deal. And so, you know, I only had a couple friends really in like the snowboard industry that fly fished. And then, then it started to grow a little bit more. There was a couple more guys that were like pro snowboarders that started getting the fly fish. And it was kind of like starting to, um, become a little more of a thing. And, and then, you know, eventually I could just kind of just be more of who I was all the time and not have to put on a different face for each sport kind of deal. Um, and fly fishing was always kind of the yin to the yang, you know, I'd spend all yeah. winter just beating the crap out of myself, jumping snowboards and, you yeah. know, doing stunts and I'd be, you know, I could barely walk by the end of the season. And, <laughs> um, so at first fly fishing was a way to like, kind of you know zen out on the river and and recover but um for sure then it got to where i was hiking miles and miles the guy of guiding you know with heavy pack on and carrying <laughs> waters and lunches for clients and stumbling around the rocks all day you know covering five six miles or more on east carson yep down the canyon and you know started mm-hmm. to beat me up just as much as snowboarding <laughs> for sure uh, are you are you still uh doing any guiding at all or any snowboarding um yeah, I mean, snowboarding a little bit. I, I mean, I definitely still snowboard. I, I try to get out powder days, which are kind of a at a premium these days. Um, yeah. I still love to shred pow. So I, I still have a place in Tahoe just for that. And um, so, yeah, I get out there when I, when conditions are good and, and my body allows. Um, I've actually been feeling pretty good lately just because I haven't really been, like, skateboarding or snowboarding in time. You're, but, all, um, you're all healed up. Yeah, you know, it's weird. It's, it's, it's nice. I never thought I'd, like, you know, feel this good <laughs> at this age after all that. But Are you um, are you guiding at all? Not really, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, like, donor engagement trips with Cal sure. Trout where, you know, I mean, once you're a guide, you're always a guide. You kind of, you know, yeah. how that goes. Sure. Um, you know, I'll take our board members fishing or our donors and, and friends. And um, I actually have some property now on the Yuba River. And um, right. we got a nice little fishery there so i like hosting people and um, yeah. you know showing folks around when they come over 
Nice, man. Are you still are you still doing videos like for your your company Burl Productions? Yeah, definitely doing yeah. some videos. Um, you know, I've been been with Cal Trout for over ten years now, and and so most of my production effort and creativity has been um, has been pushed into that. You know, we we uh-huh. do a, a ton of media, really like built out the media program for them, and so. Um, that was most of my capacity, but for a good number of years, I'd also try to do at least one side project through Burl Productions. Um, and mainly for many of those years, I was focused at getting into like the international fly fishing film festival and some of the other little, um, film festivals and stuff. And so, you know, like maybe once a year, I'd take a big trip with the boys and film a video and do that. Um, but this year I've actually uh, broken away from that. I'm doing something different. I, I kind of took a, a little hiatus from the film festival deals. It just kind of feels like the same old thing, you know? And um, so I actually did my first uh, narrative this winter um, where I had actually written this script a number of years ago uh, about, it's just kind of a, a story about a, a, a snowboarder kid from Tahoe that gets addicted to swinging flies for steelhead. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I got, you know, I hired an actor who was a friend of mine and, and um, a couple other, you know, um, actors to play the side parts. And we, we, uh, we did it. We filmed this, we filmed this script. And so we're kind of in the editing process. We'll see how it comes out, but it's, Bitching. you know, yeah, something totally different. Nobody's really done like a story in fly fishing in a long time. And, you know, we need I mean, it. like we need a river it. Y yeah. and like a river runs through it. And otherwise nobody's doing that, you know, and it's, it's not easy to do. It's hard. And, um, you know, so yeah, well, you know, I, I think it's going to be awesome. It's, it's, it's coming out really good and it's something totally different. It's not your average, like feel good, you know, fly fishing story. We went down to the river and uh, it was the perfect hatch and I laid out a beautiful cast and the fish uh-huh. came up and ate my fly. And then we all <laughs> high five and had beers at the campfire. Yeah. It's, um, it's something totally different. It's, 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 it's a story about, depression and, and, um, and dealing with grief and loss and, and that's kind of through the lens of a, of a guy who, you know, uses fly fishing as his coping mechanism and, you know, goes on this quest to like grieve his, his father that passed away. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting because I had written a script like a number of years ago and then, um, you know, in the, in the script, the guy loses his dad and he's dealing with that and then he, you know, goes fishing with the boys and all I can think about steelhead and he gets totally just like obsessed with it. And then all the like classic scenarios of, you know, eventually his girlfriend breaks up with him and he loses his job. And next thing you know, he's living in a tent in Humboldt County, you know, chasing steelhead. And, and then, you know, my lifetime became that my dad passed away and, you know, lost my fiance unexpectedly and all this, you know, stuff happened. Yeah. And like, I'm that guy like living in my van, you know, chasing steelhead around. So, so wait, is this kinda, this story kind of about you kind of a deal? It wasn't originally, no, uh-huh. at okay. all, you know, but um, just some, like life events happened. I mean, it, oh, I see. It, it, it really just was, a, it could have been like any one of my friends kind of story, you know, sure. it's, a, it's a story about a guy, you know, a snowboarder skater kid from Tahoe that, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, gets, you know, goes through this series of life events, but it, it really just ties in all the classic scenarios. Like every fishing trip you go on, especially you go steelheading on the coast, like at least, one point in that trip, someone's like, oh, man, if I didn't have a job, I would just be up here all winter living in mm-hmm. my van, chasing steel out around. Or like, oh, dude, if I didn't have a girlfriend or my kids or, man, mm-hmm. if I break up with my chick, I'm coming. I'm just going to steal it all winter, you know? <laughs> right. Um, Sounds so good. It, 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 Sounds really good. Yeah, it, it's going to be awesome. It, it, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. It's sad. It's kind of tragic. It's it's great. It's, it's, it's um, Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Getting a, getting a product out there for people to see and that's, you know, doing something different. What a lot of people don't probably know is that, um, you're the guy behind all these, these, uh, these films that, um, you, you know, that you've done with your production company. Um, would you mind, you know, talking about those for a second or just, uh, which ones they were? I mean, I have a list of them here, but you know, just kind of talk about each one of those if you have a second. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, it, it started out pretty, pretty innocent just kind of goofing around um yeah. working there you know we were we're all we grew up as skaters and snowboarders and so like i was raised on old bones brigade videos and 
watching <laughs> yeah. old surf videos. I love like Bruce Brown stuff, the endless summer and endless summer too. And all, you know, step in the liquid and all that, that yeah. you know, it was just kind of our culture. And, um, so in the fall, the snowboarding industry was all about the, the video premieres, you know, it was like the biggest thing you, we'd have these super hyped out premieres or everybody would get together and you'd play the latest snowboard movie. And it was before social media. So it wasn't like you saw everybody's clips, you know, it's like, every, like guys would spend all winter filming a video part and it would just be like hidden until that premiere, you know, and everybody would come out and be cheering and it just, it really got you hyped up for the season, you know, and then you go sure. back and you watch that video a hundred times and try to study their tricks. And, you know, so the next year you, mm-hmm. you could, you know, try those same tricks and see what was the hype and all that stuff. And yeah. so spring would come around, we'd, we'd be sitting there in the fly shop and the Tahoe fly fishing out there watching like, you know, Doug Swisher, uh, advanced fly casting <laughs> yeah. and, and Lonnie Waller's steelhead fishing, you know, these old uh-huh. like three M VHS videos. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, we're like, man, we need to come up with a, we need to make some fly fishing videos. You know, we're like, we need something cool for fly fishermen. And, uh, so basically just bought a video camera and would go out and film with the other guys on, on our days off. Um, me and John Copeland and Trevor wine and Joel Tubbs and the other, um, John Watson and, uh, the other guides from the, from the time, you know, yeah. just, totally just goofing around and, um, so at the end of the season, I, I this is this is probably in 1999 or 2000. I think the, the, the my first video came out in 2000 or maybe early 2001. And uh, Fish Eye One, it was like a video magazine. It was kind of modeled off of like 411 video magazine. It was like a skateboarding thing. So it had like spot checks and like guide profiles and little um, comedy skits and uh-huh. it was kind of just a variety show of fly fishing and. Um, made a little VHS tape and we were playing it in the shop and everybody came in and was like, no way, this is awesome. You know, I got <laughs> catching fish and this rock and roll and this is so cool. And, and then, uh, it was actually Jamie Lyle that came in one time and, and, um, I showed him fish. I won and, and he was like, dude, you're onto something. This is awesome. Like, let me get you some sponsors and like, oh, you know, awesome. I'm gonna hook you up with some of my brands. And, and so Jamie was really like encouraging and influential and he helped me kind of, get the first few sponsors going and that made me think, well, shit, I should do this again next season. And so we made another video. So we did fish eye one, two, three, and four, um, mm-hmm. over the course of the next few years. And then I wanted to do something a little bigger. And, uh, I was, I was planning on maybe going back to, I had spent like four months in South Africa in, in like 2002 and 2003. And, um, I filmed some fishing stuff over there and I thought, but it was mostly like a surfing trip with my, my, um, best buddy and my dad and, and, traveling around and sightseeing and we weren't really like focusing on fishing, but I got to like fish a few times and I thought, well, man, I'd go back there. Nobody, nobody in the Western United States seen anything like this. If I go back there and film some crazy stuff in Africa, like people are going to be tripping out. And, mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> then my brother introduced me to a guy that he met in Tasmania and he was planning on going to, um, Argentina and Chile to go on. Uh, they were billing it as like a science expedition at the time. They were trying to get some, grant funding or something to go collect some data. And, and um, I said, well, Hey, you know, I'm, I've been wanting to film a fishing movie. Like care if I tag along and, and film the trip. And one thing led to another. And we went down there and filmed trout bum diaries. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the one that really kind of like put it on the map, you know, and uh, yeah, we, sure. we started doing some premieres and, you know, that kind of led to starting the fly fishing film tour. Um, which, you know, all stemmed from that first movie. And, yeah, I kind of had a, a falling out with those guys after the trip, just on the business side of things. Um, just, you know, didn't see eye to eye on all that. But, yeah, but it was mm-hmm. good. You know, it was a fun trip. It was a good experience. The movie did good. And then that kind of spiraled into all these other cool things. I ended up getting um, sponsored by Patagonia. I became one of their first fly fishing ambassadors. Uh, that was all the mm-hmm. way back in, like, 2004, um, five, you know, it's been mm-hmm. 18 years now. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then with the, you know, with scientific anglers got kind of connected with them and did some, some, uh, snowboard style, like marketing, you know, ads and magazines and stuff like that. Kind of mm-hmm. modeled after some of the corporate marketing tool stuff I've been doing in the snowboarding industry. And, um, yeah, man, it was, it was, that was a hype time in, in fly fishing, you know? Yeah. And then we did, that got me all, 
pumped up. And so I spent the next like five or six years just traveling around the world, trying to film the craziest destinations. So I did Soulfish one, um, which was awesome. You know, where was uh, that? Where was, where'd you guys go on that one? Oh uh, God. Soulfish one. We did, I did the Florida Keys with Justin Kyle. I okay. did, um, Brazil with Andy Burke. I did mm-hmm. Christmas Island with Rachel Andrus. Um, I did Mongolia with Peter Mullet, who I actually met at that, um, team USA fly fishing competition in Boulder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was going to go to Kamchatka with Will Blair and film that. And then the airline fell apart that year. And then Peter called and asked me if I want to go to Mongolia. And so I went to Mongolia and then I did British Columbia with, um, I'm sorry. No, that was Sulfur too. Uh, got fish I want. Oh, I did, um, Belize where I went down there with, uh, my friend Lauren Elliott, who was like 13 at the time and oh, got yeah. like the grand slam in Belize. <laughs> he was crushing. And, um, Okay. Yeah, it was cool. You know, it was a fun, fun experience. And then that led into Soulfish 2, which was, uh, I went to Egypt with Jeff Courier, went to Mongolia, went back to Mongolia with Jeff Courier. We did a hundred mile float trip that had never been, um, done before. Just totally wow. exploratory. One of the rivers that we had stumbled across on, on my first trip to Mongolia, went back and floated a hundred miles, you know, sh- sh- ship boats over there. It was a full on expedition. And then, um, yeah, I went to Egypt with Courier, caught Nile perch. I went to like some crazy lake in Mexico for largemouth bass, like Quites. <laughs> um, I went to British Columbia with Rachel, on, or sorry, with um, April Vokey and Eric Jackson, who's one of my buddies, who's a pro snowboarder. And went back to Belize with Mike Coppathorn. He was, um, you know, flats fishing in a wheelchair off the front of a boat, which is kind of a cool story. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you know, so that was another just badass multi destination um, movie, you know. And I'm yeah. I'm I'm good on the creative side, but I'm not great on the marketing side, you know. And so they they did good, and I sold the DVDs and all that. And yeah. it, it led into like, you know, Jim Klug started doing his multi destination fly fishing movies, which was obviously a lot easier for him owning a fly fishing travel service. And uh-huh. so you know, they kind of took that model and ran, and then that you know, started the international fly fishing film festival. So you got the IF four and the FT three both touring now. And, uh, you know, it just really like helped, uh, kind of create that industry, I guess. Oh, for sure. You know, so you've done all these, you know, productions and traveled the world and it's kind of led you into your, your job, right. That you've been with Caltrout for 10 years. Is that what happened? You kind of just eased into that and they wanted you to work for them doing video stuff or something? Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I've been guiding for so long and, and kind of utilizing these resources and I was always in, into conservation, you know, I'd always, mm-hmm. um, even since I was, you know, a teenager had been like interested in what the nature conservancy was doing and the Sierra club and organizations like that, you know, by memberships and stay in the loop. And then, um, at some point, uh, around 2008 or nine, they, uh, announced that they want to raise the dam on Tardy Reservoir. And that's, um, one of the reservoirs on my home river, the McCallamy. And I thought, oh man, how can I get active in this campaign? And at the time I was shooting a lot of like nature and wildlife stuff. Um, just spent a lot of time out in the, in the uh, woods and trying to get shots of, of wildlife and, and a lot of it was that around the McCallamy there. And I thought, man, I can't let them down this river. And so I, I, uh, got in touch with Trout Unlimited and, um, the Foothill Conservancy and Caltrout and, and the others that were working on that campaign and ended up volunteering basically to produce a movie for them. And, um, we made this cool movie, you know, that told the story of the McCallamy and then had a segment where I included all the wildlife and I gave them voices. I had my friends like, and like give each animal a voice, you know, and so it was like, <laughs> like I'm a great horned owl. I'm a slender uh-huh. salamander. I'm a California kingsnake, you know? And, <laughs> and at the end, like all the voices chimed in and we're, we're all Californians, but we need your voice to help protect our home and that oh, kind nice. of thing. And, <laughs> and, um, and it, and, and it worked, you know, and it, it, uh, it, it played a, a, a big role in that campaign, I guess it helped get the, the awareness out there. And we got the votes and the comments and the people speaking up at the meetings. And, you know, it was mostly the foothill conservancy driving the whole, effort but um the movie definitely helps a little bit and and that's that's when i realized like hey i could use this 
to um, tell environmental stories that help make a difference. You know, it's not just like pros gone fishing and slapping fives and trying to get fish eating flies and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so did that help? So do, did that help um, that film? And did it help with the you know not them raising the dam and stuff? It did. Yeah, nice. we 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 won the campaign. We got awesome. um, East Bay Mud to to take raising dam raising the dam off of their. Um, future water plan and then nice. it also eventually led to the wild and scenic uh designation for the mccallamy river which just passed i think three four years ago it took another like seven or eight years to get that we got them to stop the dam that was the first big win and then kept moving on the on the campaign and you know the dedication of the people at the foothill conservancy um pushed through the wild and scenic uh designation for the mccallamy so it was, it was a big it was a big win you know for my home river and something that'll last you know hopefully in perpetuity um yeah. or at least for a long time so congrats man that's a big deal yeah uh, you know it was and it really made me feel like okay i can actually use this medium for good and um so shortly after that i did a, a video for trout unlimited uh they just hired dave lass and he was a buddy and we um bernard and dave and i did this crazy trip um into the back of head checky one time and we you know we started talking about it and so i made a, a little pro of a video to kind of promote um, Trout Unlimited's new program in, in Tahoe. And that, that went over well. And then I pitched uh, like a year or two later, I was at the fly fishing, one of the fly fishing shows there. Um, I think the Pleasanton one. And I was walking by the Cal Trout booth and they had just hired a new executive director. And I kind of pitched to him like, Hey man, you know, I've been, doing these videos, you know, check out, you know, here's a DVD. And he's like, Oh, I know who you are. I've seen your movies. And he was, he was a pretty, um, you know, great angler in his own right. And he, um, he said, you know, I, I just could like, do, I was just freelancing doing video at the time. That was most of my living. And I'm like, Hey, you know, what, what do you think about me telling a couple stories? You guys have all this great work, but I think you're not like conveying the story to the general public as well as you could. You're doing this great stuff. Let's get the stories out there. And, and, uh, a few weeks later, he came back and he said, Hey man, you want a full-time job? We can you start? And I was like, Oh, no awesome. <laughs> yeah. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I, I had just spent like three years and a bunch of dough producing this killer multi-sport movie called Cali Rush. And I, oh, it was yeah. like the first like human-powered adventure sports movie. And, you know, it was all like man-powered sports. It was like an eco-action sports movie. So like split boarding and hiking, you know, no no ski lifts, no burning gas and mm-hmm. whitewater kayaking and rafting and skateboarding and kite surfing and surfing and a little fishing segment in there and rock climbing and um it was you know it was a pretty badass movie and i was planning to go around and, and tour it and then jeff um and we were gonna do these like totally different like tours too or bands and djs and live art and play the movie and like this whole like thing and then jeff offered me that job and i'm like man you know a steady income sounds great at this point in my life and uh yeah and then, yeah, just kept spiraling from there. You know, we started, I started making videos for Caltrop. We started telling these stories and they really just 
were, were hitting hard and people were stoked on it and, um, and just kept going and going. And, uh, now we've got a pretty robust media program. Um, you know, the, the videos have really helped a lot. They've, they've helped, uh, bring in tons of grant money, you know, so mm -hmm. I can, I can legitimately say that, you know, my videos have helped raise millions of dollars for nice. fisheries conservation, uh, you know, in the last 10 years and, um, led to a bunch of killer projects and, and I love being part of Caltrout. I mean, the ethos of that company just really falls in line with my personal ethos when it comes to, uh, ecosystem services and nature-based solutions and healthy functioning ecosystems and, you know, protection of native fish and cold water, Mm -hmm. uh, ecosystems in general. And it's, um, you know, it's an honor to be part of that and to help, help, uh, you know, build that program up and keep the work going, you know? Absolutely. It's like, uh, I was looking at, uh, Caltrout's website, uh, yesterday and just looking at all the different projects that they have going on and, and trying to help, uh, cold water species is, is amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's incredible. And the volume of work we're doing now, I mean, we're, uh, I was just on my staff call before this and, um, we've hired 11 new employees this year nice. alone. I mean, the growth has just been phenomenal. I mean, this, this was like through the, uh, you know, the economic downturn. I, I, I got hired in uh, 2012. We we're just kind of like coming out of recession and, and, um, you know, through COVID and everything. I mean, our work never slowed down during COVID and it didn't affect any of our projects at all. I mean, we just kept going. And, um, you know, so when I started with Caltrout, I was the, I think the 11th or the 12th employee hired. I mean, it was like in the wow. entire organization, I was like <laughs> the 11th employee. Wow. We, we were a $1.5 million organization in 2012 when I started. And this year we're, uh, we just did our budget at like 28 million. Nice. Um, and, and like 38 employees or close to 40 employees now. So cool. So great. So yeah, they're, they're cranking and you know, we're cranking, we're all busy. Um, this month's been insane for me. Uh, I did a, an event last weekend in Guerneville and then a talk for a fly club in Fresno mm, on yeah. Thursday. Tomorrow I'm heading to Mammoth for a project tour yeah. back for uh, the Yuba Fest on Saturday on the Yuba River. Um, and then, you know, a couple more events after that. We, yeah, we're, we're busy. What's the, uh, what's the biggest, uh, or I guess, what's the, what's the projects that you guys are most focused on right now? Oh gosh, there's a ton. I mean, we've got, um, you know, big projects in every region. I, I think for me, one of the things that I'm the most, interested and stoked on is the Klamath dam removals. Okay. Um, you know, I, I've, I've gotten to spend quite a bit of time up there and it's just one of my favorite places in California that that's just so remote and so wild back there, you know, wild wilderness, wild animals, wild people. It's just, um, it's such a cool corner of California and it's going to be the biggest river restoration project in history. You know, the whole world is looking at, at this and seeing, you know, how this is going to go down and, and it could serve as a model for many other, um, projects for, you know, decades to come. It's, it's the biggest social justice project probably happening in America right now, you know, re reuniting, um, the, the tribes with their salmon, uh, restoring, nice. and continuing their historic fishing rights, you know, re giving them back a wild river, uh, in perpetuity, you know, they for, like the, the seven tribes up and down the Klamath that literally still rely on that river for a living every day. And there's, there's not mm -hmm. very many places like that left, you know, where a river is healthy enough to actually like provide a living for people. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, it's a big, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, and just all the economic, all the, uh, ecological benefits of it and the uh, economic benefits of it, you know, ecotourism aspect of it. And there's mm -hmm. just, it's a, multifaceted project and it's a really big deal. And, and Caltrop's been, I, you know, working on that project for over 20 years. I mean, Curtis has been there, uh, I think 21, 22 years now. He's, he's been working on the Klamath dam removal since he started with Caltrop. So he's been at every, you know, all those early meetings and negotiations and all that. And then Drew Brock kind of took the reins from there for a good five years. And now we have a new guy, uh, Damon Goodman up there in Shasta and he's kind of, 
taken over now and we're, we're, you know, highly involved and we, and, and then so spiraling off of that is we have all these other projects that we've been doing to, to prepare for this. So we've been really like one of the only organizations that's boots on the ground in the Shasta river, the Scott river, um, you know, trying to move a little bit into the salmon river, but working on doing good work and, and, um, restoration on the tributaries to the Klamath and specifically the Scott and the Shasta, which are two of the best spawning tributaries and also the two that are closest to the dams. And so these are the populations of fish that are going to repopulate those upper areas once the dam is out. And so we've been doing a ton of work and, and hard work. I mean, we're working with ranchers there in Sisu County that are, you know, primarily anti-dam removal people, mm-hmm. but we are giving them, you know, millions of dollars worth of infrastructure upgrades to their ranches um, to make them more efficient so we can keep more water in the streams and remove barriers and make it better for coho salmon and for Chinook and for um, the different runs of steelhead. And and then all the genetics work we're doing up there, um, you know, with the identification of the gene that separates spring run Chinook from fall run Chinook, they isolated the genome that, you know, proves that it's a genetic adaptation that took thousands or millions of years um, to do. And so we were able to list those fish as a separate species, which adds additional protections to them. Um, so it's, yeah, there's, there's a ton going on up there. It's like, I could, you know, go on the rest of this call just about the Klamath. There's a lot of uh, dam removal uh, projects that are in the works, right? Like the, the Matillaha dam, is that one still kind of in the works there too? And have you heard anything about yeah. that? Yeah, so, so Caltrout did a, a comprehensive analysis of basically every major dam and even a lot, most of the smaller barriers in California. Mm-hmm. And just to, to look at, you know, which ones um, are still operating how they should be, which ones are going to need, uh, you know, infrastructure upgrades in the coming years, which ones are totally obsolete. Um, and, you know, and when I say obsolete, it just means that it's not performing the function that it was built to perform anymore. And, um, so, you know, we got dams of varying degrees all over California and, and they were built for different stuff. Some of them are hydropower dams. Some of them mm-hmm. are flood control dams. Some of them are silt control dams. Yeah. Some of them are dams that were built to impound water for municipal uses for agriculture and for municipalities. And so assessing whether these dams are, are still functioning. And then we distilled it down to like 25 that are, um, you know, basically, not working how they should or, or are coming up for um, needing to be upgraded. And then we distilled that down to our, our top five uh, dams, which are the, the biggest priority. And all these are the ones that are on the hit list, which is um, basically dam removal. And so you got Rins Dam on Malibu Creek. You got Matillaha Dam on mm-hmm. the Ventura River. You've got Searsville Dam um uh, in uh, in Stanford there, um, and then you have uh, Scott Dam on the Eel River, and then the Klamath Dams, which includes all four of the main stem dams on the Klamath. And so, that's our top five priorities right now. All those are are um, well, Rins is slated for removal. Matilla Hall is slated for removal. It's been a twenty year yeah. process or more. Yeah, but uh, Rins was recently like. Um, approved to be removed. And so now we're working through that process. Uh, Matilla Hall is definitely in the way. They actually just opened up the first bridge below Matilla Hall. So they had to do a bunch of infrastructure upgrades below the dam before they could remove it to accommodate for the silt and stuff moving through there. So they just finished the first big bridge oh, did they? project okay. that's going to um, allow the next step for dam removal. So that's cool. Oh, wow. Um, and then the Scott Dam, same deal. It's like there's only two dams on the Eel River. Um, it's a small hydro project called Potter Valley where Scott Dam impounds the water. And then um, down 12 miles downstream, there's a smaller dam called Van Arsdale that actually has fish passage, but it just backs up the water enough to send it into a pipe, which goes a mile through the mountain and then comes out into Potter Valley um, and then eventually ends up in the Russian River watershed. And so a lot of Eel River waters sent over there and used to grow grapes and all kinds of crops through Potter Valley and weed and everything else in that, um, community and economy. And so there's a lot of, uh, need for that water coming through still. But, um, you know, as far as like native fish recovery, that's one of the best, uh, potentials in all of 
California, if not the Western United States, to, to have a, a completely free-flowing eel river again, and actually the best habitat for salmonids um, long-term and for summer rearing and as is above Lake Tilbury. And so FERC gave up their license, the Federal uh, Energy Regulatory Committee, um, or sorry, PG&E gave up their license, their FERC license to run that project. And so that opened it up to different solutions. So after a number of studies, um, it's actually, you know, finally been concluded that dam removal is probably the preferred alternative for that uh, project as well. And so now we're going to move forward with all the environmental studies and everything else needed to, um, and, and it's still like a negotiation, finding the right solution, you know, the right partners to take take over that project, that infrastructure. And so hopefully we'll be able to move forward with dam removal. You know, it, it could take 10, 20, 30 years, but, um, I think there's a good chance that, that that dam's going to come out too. It's so crazy how long it takes and, and, you know, what goes into it. A lot of people have no idea, you know, what goes into taking down dams or just, you know, restoration work and stuff like that. You know, it's crazy all the, the amount of work that goes into that. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, I'm going to kind of move down into our zone, you know, the Southern Sierra. And, um, I, read somewhere or heard somewhere that you had ridden horses into the golden trout uh, wilderness. Is that right? Um, I, there was recently a cow trout trip that went up there. I wasn't on it, but, oh, okay. um, Tracy Diaz, who's our marketing coordinator runs, who kind of runs our comms department, um, was up there and, and we work with a, a studio. I, I contract out some of our video work to, um, this, these guys need pusher and they do uh-huh. video work for us now too. And, they're up there with Craig Ballinger and they're doing a, a little Kern River rainbow trout movie, you know, kind of an awareness oh, good. piece about Kern River rainbows. Yeah. And, um, I, I have been up there like when we did liquid gold, I, I yeah. hiked up, um, through some of the headwaters of the current with Craig and I've been up there on other trips too. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I have gone into also some of the small creeks and look for, uh, little Kern golden trout. Of I remember that. Kern there. I remember when you stopped in the shop, that was years ago. And you were, yeah. on, you were on like a little mission to go get the, all those trout, I think, or something. Yeah, you know, we were doing our SOS report, our state of Salmon's report. And so I wanted to have some photos and some media of all yeah. of our uh, native endemic inland trout species. And so I did get some cool like photos and videos of little Kern Golden in their native habitat, Kern River rainbows, mm-hmm. um, you know, true pure strain California golden trout. Um and I'd like to do more of that. Yeah. Spend more, more time doing that kind of, you know, being out in the backcountry and filming, filming fish, being fish in their native habitats. Well, here's, I wanted to tell you, uh, and maybe you know more about this than me, but, um, I don't know if you've heard, this has been going on for over 20 years here in, uh, in Kernville, but, um, we have a, we have a hatchery here in Kernville that where they bring, you know, hatchery fish over and they stock this section called the 20 mile section, which is a put and take fishery. And then above this bridge um, called the Johnsonville Bridge, it's managed for 50 miles as a wild trout fishery. And so uh, for years now, they've been trying to uh, locate the purest strain of Kern River rainbows. And so the um, folks, um, including myself and other folks, have been going way back in the backcountry collecting um, samples of, of fish. And they've been going to um, UC Davis and they've been trying to find the purest strain of Kern River rainbows and it's taken a long time, but apparently they found the purest strain in a, in a Creek way back in there. They, they, big, they first thought it was at a big Royal Creek, um, which was a tributary to the upper Kern in, in Sequoia national park, but apparently that isn't now or something. So anyway, what's going on in town is, um, the hatchery here, um, got some money, um, and this is this is uh, a while ago, and it's it's defunct now. But they were actually making the hatchery uh, ready and preparing it for native Kern River rainbows, where they were going to raise Kern River rainbows only in the hatchery. And so, uh, in the last uh, three or four years, the the hatchery is closed, and there's a big political thing going on right now where they're trying to find out why and what's going on with that. And so there's this big uproar going on because our our hatchery is closed and they spent all this money you know trying to fix it up and making all these indoor runs and outdoor runs for the Kern River Rainbow and so we're we're kind of in this weird um stage where there's nothing going on with the hatchery and it's all um political right now so I don't know if have you heard anything about this 
Yeah, yeah, we've, we've been uh, staying semi up to date on it. I actually yeah. sat in on a few of the meetings um, okay. with the the groups of stakeholders involved, trying to get the hatchery back done. And um, I can't remember everybody's names right now, but we uh, we're trying to figure out ways Caltrout can can help. Um, we've submitted a few comments uh, on behalf of the the stakeholders. Yeah. Um, to CDFW and others. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, super pro hatchery, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm in favor of using them as conservation hatcheries, you know, to get things going again. And I mean, just the, with the state of our fisheries, it's definitely necessary. Um, I actually did a, a little movie a few years back about the, um, McLeod river red bands and mm-hmm. kind of the, the plight of the red bands. And they, they live in these small little streams, you know, real similar, kind of to the current river rainbows and, and, um, they were drying up in the drought in like 2013, 14, they had to take them into the hatchery in Mount Shasta mm-hmm. and do some like crossbreeding and keep the genetics healthy. And then mm-hmm. cause they've been isolated in these little streams for thousands of years. And so they, um, crossbred them from the different streams to keep the gene pool a little healthier. And then, you know, I, I went out there with them when they put them back in the streams, like two years later when conditions improved, you know, there's like environmental markers are trying to hit and, mm-hmm when they do, they, they took the fish back out there. And, um, you know, I think that program can kind of serve as a model for what you guys are trying to do down there on the current. And, um, you know, we've couch route wise, it's hard just capacity wise, because we have, um, so many big projects happening that are, you know, large landscape scale Mm-hmm. stuff and we, we can't be everywhere and you know maybe as we grow we could expand more into the current we, we do have some projects down there yeah uh for sure a, a lot of meadow restoration stuff in the um upper you know headwaters parts of the current right the south fork of the current maybe you guys have yeah. stuff going on over there yeah yeah we did osa meadows and there's something yeah. happening in uh, horse meadow and mm-hmm. um i can't remember the name of all the meadows we're working in up there but you know, we did some pretty large scale restoration, uh, and, but also as a, as a component of that, I'm not sure how much you know about this or talked about this, but we're, we've been doing like a GHB, a GHG greenhouse gas, um, carbon, uh, sequestration study happening up there in those meadows at the same time as the restoration kind of like tied into it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, pretty cutting edge science that Caltrow is leading up there where they were, uh, we've had field techs go up every month that's not covered in snow and do a series of readings. You put this like cap in the ground, you, you, you know, traps the gases coming out and you study the amount of greenhouses coming out, the amount of greenhouse gas coming out. It's basically like, um, the, you know, de- decomposition process and it tells you how, healthy that soil is how much carbon the store the soil can store and mm-hmm. so we would do it on um you find a degraded meadow that needs some restoration that's you know dry and messed up and and you know trampled from cattle and then cars driving through it and the water table is gone and and you take your sample there and you find a healthy meadow that's um you know what you would consider to be in great shape uh and you take the samples there and then we do the meadows that we're restoring and we see how the changes throughout the process of restoring the meadows and then that data can be used to start like carbon um, banking type um, mitigation stuff like that where you can say you know a restored meadow is going to sequester x amount more carbon which is way better for the environment fights climate change and then you can maybe you know commodify it in a way to increase the pace and scale of meadow restoration as well and so that's kind of a cool like cutting edge component of the meta restorations we're doing around there, you know, as, in addition to just like the ecological benefits, um, you know, studying the, the carbon sequestration benefits as well. And so, yeah, that's all kind of happening up there in the headwaters of the current. It's so incredible that Caltrout's doing so much, man. It's really neat. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm honestly blown away. I mean, every yeah. time, like, like I said, we just had a staff call this morning. It's like every call, it's just like, <laughs> you know, new people coming on and new uh-huh. projects going on. Like I, I can't keep up with it, man. I'm, I'm like, been like the roving reporter for years <laughs> here driving around. Like I'm like the guy that's seen more of our projects than anybody. Cause I get yeah. to go to all the different regions and I'm kind of like the, the rover here bouncing around and taking photos and video and doing interviews. And so, 
to, to make these like project videos, I get to take kind of a deep dive into like each one of these projects and interview partners and stakeholders and, you know, really look at the aspects of it to kind of convey the story to the public. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible and it's a lot and it's, but it's all like really cool stuff. You know, it's a lot of time on the road, but everywhere I'm going is awesome. You know, like Cal Child never sends me to like terrible places. I'm not, I don't have to go to like downtown LA for work. You know, I'm like out in these killer remote, beautiful streams and Uh creeks. And, uh, you know, we're working in some of the most beautiful parts of California for sure. If, um, somebody wanted to join Cal Child, how would they go about doing that to contribute? Yeah. I mean, you, you can just go to our website, caltrout.org. Um, there's all kinds of different options. You know, you can pay your $35 a year membership and, um, that kind of gets you the, gets you all of our media, gets you on our emailing list, might get you a little, yeah. a little swag depending on what, um, cool. what you sign up for. I mean, I, I really always try to promote like kind of the monthly giving. I mean, yeah, seems like a little better way to go and, and it kind of keeps our um unrestricted revenue flowing which helps the organization be a little more nimble yeah and be able to change course and focus on things that matter and and, and to address issues that just kind of come up as you know things do because a lot of our funding is allocated by big grants and it's um very specific to those projects and so that unrestricted funding from like memberships really help us be able to tackle new challenges as they come up and um and stay stay nimble as an organization and and you know and then you get all our, our our media you get our cool videos you get our watershed reviews and you get our stream keepers log and um you know if you really want to step it up you can become part of the golden trout circle and that opens oh, yeah. you up to some benefits of trips and stuff like that that we host for people every year you can come to our trout camp up on the upper sacramento river outside of mount shasta there and um so there's some added benefits to that you know if you really want to step up your game and help native trout. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, so what's, uh, what's the next plan for you? Are you going to stay and hang in with cow trout for the rest of your life until you retire or what's going to go on with you? You know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I usually could just, I mean, I do it's love a great job. Uh, man. It's a great it's job. It's a great job. Yeah. And the stuff we do and, you know, and, and to me, I mean, it really just started from, spending all those years guiding and being out on the water five, six days a week and, and seeing the changes in our fisheries, you know, it's, it's yeah. like, um, fly fishing isn't like other sports where the more people that get into it, the more resources you can allocate to it. You know, like if you're a skateboarder or a BMX mm-hmm. bike rider or a golfer, you know, like the more people do it, you can build more courses, you can build more tracks, you can, you know, mm-hmm. make better facilities to do those sports. But, fly fishing it's like it is what it is i mean there's a there's a finite amount of places that you can do this sport and as the sport grows i mean there's just more and more of a need to um to make the places that we do have the best they can be and you know i I really got heavily involved in the um regulation changes you know with cdfw you know wasn't really like in my work plan for those years it's one of those things that just kind of came up that we had to we had to tackle because to me that was one of the biggest um, things that was going to directly affect our fisheries, you know, mm-hmm. for, for years. Like, like I said, uh, guiding, I made a living off these fisheries for years. So I just want to like turn around and give back. And um, mm-hmm. so that was, you know, that was a big, that was a big deal. And we, we went to, you know, all the meetings we could and wrote all the letters and made all the recommendations. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're still, toiling with with cdfw over some of the changes you know we got some stuff we wanted and some stuff we didn't as you always do but you know personally i think california should have the most progressive fishing regulations in the nation mm-hmm. and we should be leading the way i mean we have the the ecosystems the ability to do it and and you know and it goes back to i mean for me that's the true heritage of this landscape the true natural heritage of this landscape you know and you, you hear that word thrown around a lot i mean i, I grew up in cattle country and you know you hear these ranchers oh I'm, I'm a fourth generation rancher it's my heritage to grow here i'm a fourth generation almond farmer it's my heritage to grow almonds here mm-hmm. that's the very very short-sighted picture i mean the true heritage of this landscape is that it's a it's a salmon and trout producing ecosystem and you know all inhabitation across the west coast was centered around salmon runs for thousands and thousands of years i mean they were like the signature of this landscape and and California has the ability to produce big wild salmonids and a lot of them. And we need to mm-hmm. just, you know, 
step out of the way and let the ecosystem do that. I mean, that's what it was historically designed to do. You know, the, the Central Valley and our rivers produce millions and millions and millions of migratory salmon, you know, and millions and millions of migratory birds and mammals and everything else that went with them and salmon, you know, sustain this ecosystem. And so it's, we're doing it a huge disservice if we let those runs disappear in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's it's like the ultimate tragedy. Mm -hmm. And so it is, you know, it's something worth fighting for and I have something I believe in and, um, you know, it's an honor to, to do this kind of work and, you know, play a small part in these big projects, I guess. The Caltrout should be proud to have you, man. All the stuff that you do and how passionate you are about it for sure. So the last, the the last, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, man. Sorry. No, I was just saying it's worked out great for both of us. And, you know, and then for me, like I, I took it even a step further and I'm doing the ultimate kind of Doug Tompkins, put your money where your mouth is kind of style of conservation. And I, mm-hmm. um, found an incredible piece of property on the Yuba river. Uh, that's like critical habitat for spring run Chinook. It's one of five habitats left in the entire central Valley that are viable for spring run Chinook. It's an incredible habitat for fall run Chinook for central Valley steelhead for wild, you know, native rainbow trout. And, um, I, I got found an investor to go in with me and we, we bought this place. And so we're, we're, nice. uh, helping, you know, in real time, protect habitat, uh, for native salmonids and a myriad of other wildlife. And sometimes managing it as a preserve, um, you know, of course, a little fishing with friends and family, but, um, mostly just keeping it wild and keeping the fish safe and healthy there. And, uh, you know, keep doing that too. So. Absolutely. I'd love, love to have you come by if you're ever in the area and come check it out. Uh, for sure, man. For sure. So I always like to uh, end the show with, um, you know, something that uh, doesn't really have to do with fishing or conservation or anything like that. But I always like to list or hear what uh, folks are listening to music wise. So you have anything lately that you've been listening to music wise? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> put you on the spot, man. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. You know, lately I've been in kind of like a, uh, I've been listening to a lot of like Chet Baker and uh, uh, Calio and, uh, you know, kind of like, like I don't want to say like indie rock, but more kind of like a mellow, like yeah. rock. There's a band I really like called Jared in the Mill um, that I've been, been rocking to lately. Uh, what kind of music is that? Uh, kind of just like rock, like kind of. I don't know. I guess you could call it indie rock. Um, cool. He's out of like Phoenix, Arizona, you know, um, a lot of bluegrass, uh, roses pawn shop. They're one of my, uh, kind of favorites lately. Uh-huh. You know who they are. They're, they're out of SoCal there. Um, yeah, you know, I got, I got a, a variety of stuff on my phone, but those are kind of some of my jams lately. Awesome. That's cool, man. Well, if you're into if you're into hip hop at all, uh, <laughs> Rush Sturgis put out a hip hop album. If you know who he is, he's like a oh, yeah? super badass whitewater kayaker. You know, like like literally one of the best in the world. And um, he put out a, a hip hop album called A Life Worth Living, and it's you know it's cool because he's you know you hear most rappers talking about whatever they're you know get money, get girls, flashy yeah. lifestyle. And, yeah. You know, he's rapping about like running rivers and shooting waterfalls and like, you know, watching your friends die on front end. And, and it's, but it's like legit, you know, he's, he's dropping 80 foot water. He's like literally one of the best guys in the world. And so it's, you know, <laughs> he's backing it up, you know, that the stuff he's spitting, it's not just like, I'm the best, I'm the baddest, I'm the coolest. I've got the biggest ego. It's like, yeah. you know, he's legitimately done like some of the gnarliest, you know, expeditions in the world. <laughs> Very cool, man. So I've got producer, editor, director, videographer, storyteller, conservationist, professional snowboarder, fly fishing guide. Anything else I can add, um, add to your list? <laughs> it's pretty amazing, yeah. my friend. You're a talented mofo for sure. I really like, I actually really like building. I've done a lot of uh construction stuff in between you know oh, really? okay. in like builder in the <laughs> awesome. in the spotlight but yeah i mean on the in the off seasons in tahoe between guiding and snowboarding i've often worked different you know tile or masonry or construction gigs and um 
And so I also, you know, kind of like my side hustle's been real estate investing, doing kind of like fixer flippers. I, I love oh, building right and working on stuff. So I've done a few properties now that I've oh. bought and picked up and sold. And so. Business, businessman as well. Okay. Let me throw that in there. <laughs> I, just, I just, I just kind of like, I've been coming to the end of remodeling the house on our property to Yuba there. And, um, it's been, yeah, it's been fun. Very cool. Well, Mikey, thank you so much for being on the show, man. And um, I'm hoping to uh, have you on again sometime, if that's cool. Yeah, no, I'd love it. I mean, plenty, plenty more to talk about, for sure. Oh, for sure, man. Well, we'll talk again, man. Thank you so much, and have a good one, buddy. Yeah, dude, great catching up. Appreciate right, it. Man. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.